Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a very special guest for you today. He is a martial arts master, actor, stunt performer, and president and CEO of Red Dragon Karate. Welcome to the show, the amazing Chris Casamasa. Hello, sir. Woo-woo. Hey, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You know, right off the bat, I really love and admire this side of your career, and that is Red Dragon Karate. Started and founded by your father, Louis Casamasa, who's quite the renaissance man through his travels and his different training and also founding American Karate Kung Fu Federation. I would like to know, what was it like growing up in that martial arts environment as a kid? Well, I can tell you there was never a dull moment. That's for sure. <laughs> it was pretty amazing to have a ringside seat and to watch all the things that my father accomplished and did and all the struggles that he went through to accomplish the goals that he believed in. So it was amazing. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, you're practically born with a gi on, right? Pretty much, yeah. I tell people all the time, I remember wearing a uniform when I was little. I never remember wearing a diaper. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That's how you raise them right. Um, yes, and you got, man, so many schools going around. What's it also I wanted to know, like carrying on and growing that legacy? Well, listen, right now we're on track to have 25 locations by 2025. So we'll see if we can achieve that goal. It's kind of a big benchmark for us to get there. Like I said, we're on track for it. We're about to open our 16th location here in a city called Pasadena, California in September, and then potentially one more this year. So we're going to shoot for those, the 25 by 25 to see if we can get there. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. You know, you've been, like I said, training your whole life. I believe right around the age of 10, you got your first degree in black belt. And from 1982 to 1992, you had this amazing run at the North American Sport Karate Association, NASCA. And unheard of, man. Number one in forms for four consecutive years, national weapon titles, two of those. What was some of the most memorable experiences or stories in your competition days? Well, the, listen, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that likes traveling. So going to all the different places where the tournaments were and kind of being it kind of I'm trying to immerse myself in the local culture, you know, you're not there that long. You're usually in on a Thursday and out on a Sunday uh, on the pro tour. So you don't get to spend too much time there, but I really enjoyed the travel. I made so many good friends on the tour, you know, that were my peers and my co-competitors out there. But, at, you know, at that time we were all really good friends as well. You know, when, when it came to stepping up into the ring or performing, like we hated each other, but the minute the competition was over, like we hung out, we had drinks, we had a good time. It was fun. That's amazing. Yeah. And the experience and sometimes even like cross training or spreading of knowledge. What would you say? Cause there's a lot of people listening, multiple martial arts styles. What would you say was one of the keys to your success in competition? So two keys to my success. One of them was, I always thought I could be number one. So it started mm -hmm. with belief. Now, when I started on the pro tour, I got wiped out. I was bad news. I was not, not bad news in the sense of of a competitor because I started on the local Southern California circuit and I did very well there. And then I was winning locally and I thought, well, I'm just going to go national. I, I got this. And I went out my first like two national events. I just got crushed. I didn't even get top eight place. Wow. Uh, so, which was humbling, but it also let me know, Hey man, you're not as good as you thought you were. And so, but I still believed, Hey, I can still do this. I watched the guys and the girls that were number one and I'm like, damn, they are really super talented and good that's what I can be. Like I aspired to be like them because I saw their level compared to where I was. And I knew like they didn't start here either. They started here and it was kind of that journey. So that's number one. Number two, the other thing I did was I went and hired the people that were number one in their respective divisions to give me private training. 
Wow. Right. Because here's the sad thing about martial arts, especially even today on the pro tour, like the amount of money the athletes get paid doesn't even cover their travel to these events. Right now there's, there's some teams that have started and they're sponsoring people, but listen, the prize money for a, a national like on the, the sport karate side prize money is, I think it's a thousand dollars for the grand championship. I mean, you compare that to like cornhole or yeah. bowling or anything else like and the amount, the athletic performance that the people do on the pro tour compared to half these other sports is like, come on, man, it's, it's night and day. So, wow. so, so and I'm telling you that because to, number one, if there's any big sponsors listening, you should jump into the martial arts ring because there's opportunity there. But number two, more importantly, like the number one people at that time, it actually cost them money to go be the number one competitor in the world. You can't say that in any other sport, right? But these, right. these men and women it was costing them money. When I was number one, the last four years I was on the tour, I was the number one competitor. I was breaking even, right? The amount of money I would win would barely cover the travel and hotel expense. And, but the seminar money was great. So I would get paid. People did what I was doing. They said, Hey man, we want you to train us. And so they would pay me very nicely. And that's how you made money like on the pro tour. But I went and did that. And I got tips and advice from them of things I didn't know because they were better than me. But I said, instead of being me going, Oh, hey, you're better than me and I'm going to beat you. It was like, hey, you are better than me. Can you show me some things to help make me better? And then I put in the work, right? And I told you, yeah. and you said, I was on the pro tour for 10 years. But years one through six, I wasn't number one, right? Years one and two, I like didn't even get top five. Yeah. But the third the third year on the tour, I started winning. And then I, then I would win, I would lose. I would win, I would lose. Fourth year, a little more of the winning. Fifth year, more winnings. And by the end of the sixth year, I, I knew that that next year I was going to be number, I ended up, I think number, number two or number three that year. And I knew next year I was going to be number one. Right. But it, but that's so what I'm telling you, the answer to your question is it's belief and commitment, right? I believed I could be number one, but I stayed committed and I got the advice that I needed to get me from where I was to where I know I could be. And there's not a lot of people that do it. People want instant gratification. Oh, I lost this tournament. I'm not going to compete again. Or I should have won. Like they'll be like, oh, it's the judge's fault. No, it wasn't. It's your fault. You didn't win because you weren't good enough on that day. You might be better than the person that won, but maybe it wasn't that day. So staying committed, staying focused, and believing that you can are all the secrets to my success. Man, I absolutely love that. I could work for not just martial arts, anything really, but like everybody sees the person on the podium with the gold medal. They're not seeing all the losses you kind of go into like some good motivation day-to-day -day things for people yeah yeah listen always, it reminds me of one of my favorite sayings which is everybody wants the results nobody wants the process that sounds like a t-shirt right <laughs> i mean 100 man <laughs> i love that great takeaway much like we've talked about in the past together while i have you here and that is mortar combat absolutely iconic what was it like portraying this character i imagine you get stopped all the time for this guy uh, what was it like playing that character? So to, to the stop thing, my kids to this day still are confused because they're like, dad, you had on a mask. How do people know who you were? I go, listen, the fans from Mortal Kombat are awesome. They do their work. They do their homework and they find out who you are. And I love them. Listen, we're still talking about this. This is 25 years ago. That movie came out and people are still talking about it. So yeah, it was iconic and, and it was it. It was an, an amazing experience. It was my first major film that I was in. I had been some smaller stuff before that, but it was the first opportunity to, to play a main character in a major motion picture. So it was great. And I listen, I was, I've told the story many times, but I was a big fan of the video game. And my two favorite characters were Raiden and Scorpion. 
in that order. Now, after the movie, of course, it was Scorpion, then Raiden. Yeah. Because I was a big fan of Scorpion, I wanted to get his moves right and do that video game character justice on the screen. And that, you know, people tell me that all the time. Like, oh my God, it was so like, you're doing, and I'm like, yeah, I was trying to do stuff right out of the game on the screen to make it as real as possible. And you have that iconic, absolutely iconic arm pose. Where does this come from? Where does that come from? I made it up, man. I made it up literally on the spot when we were out there. That's a, that shot you showed is from Thailand. We were in a rubber tree plantation uh, where we we're shooting the exterior scenes for that. And the producer director came up to me. They go, "Hey, so," and they brought me a. a it wasn't a three D sculpture, but it was a sculpture of the creature that it was going to be because they hadn't decided until like that moment if it was going to be a spear or a creature. They go, well, it's going to be this little creature thing. So you need to launch this out of your hand. How do you think you would do it? And I thought about it for a second and I go, okay, well, if I got that and then I kind of, I kind of did my arms like this and brought them around and then brought it back and they go, Oh my God, that's perfect. I'm like, Oh yeah. I was thinking about that for a long time. <laughs> so on but the it just spot, kinda, wow. all on the spot just kind of happened uh, organically and uh, it just worked. And you just mentioned where the trees are, where you filmed that. It was kind of a hairy shoot for you, huh? It was, yeah. And that is, uh, you remember, because it was at the rubber tree plantation. There were cobras in the grass. And they had the they had the farmers there who would have to go through with fire sticks and a drum, huh. like scaring the scaring the cobras away from where we were shooting. And you could hear them slithering. You couldn't really see them because there's like roughage on the ground. And you could hear them. And then we they'd scatter away. We'd do the scene. And then the director would yell, cut. And then we'd stop moving. And then you could hear him slithering back. Dude. And we're like, oh, man, we got to get out of here. So, yeah, it was, pretty, it was pretty crazy. But they did a good job of keeping them, keeping them away from us. Yeah, but still, that's not your average <laughs> studio no, shot. It is um, not. And you had an interesting – yeah, because you also had to wear these contacts. And, man, how did it affect your performance? Well, it, it affected my performance in the fact that I couldn't see more than three feet in front of me at any given time. So it was like being in the – yeah, it was like being in the worst – London fog you could ever be in huh. and, and see, which is why we rehearsed so much because I almost had to do the entire fight scene blind because I couldn't really see. Wow. And knowing where Lyndon was and what moves were coming up the rehearsal, like a dance choreography really helped out quite a bit. Wow. A testament, obviously, to the training and you know all the preparation that goes into it. But yeah, speaking of that, going to like Scorpion's Lair, so to speak, in the film, I believe uh, this might have been one of the things they added on because it was kind of like they wrapped up and they want to put more into it. The studio was, was like what was going on. That wasn't just thrown together. I mean, that's a full set, correct? Full set. They built that thing inside of an airport hangar in Santa Monica. They spent, I think they said at the time, a million dollars or something like that to do that reshoot. But yeah, this was way before computer graphics animation were at the point that they are today where you just digitally create that set. That was a real set. And it was, I mean, that thing was... 100 feet across, 100 feet deep, and they filled it all in with all that bamboo and, and stuff. The set designers for that film did just an amazing job. And the continuation of the character as well, more of Combat Conquest. Now, some people may not even have seen this series. It's a phenomenal series. And that Sub-Zero fight in this, man, what was it like getting back into the suit and get that choreography going? So this was something we actually wanted to do in the movie. And it was great to get back in the suit and, and to do it. And Larry Kasanoff, the producer who produced the film and, and produced the TV show. And by the way, here's the other thing people, a lot of people don't know. They go, oh, well, yeah, you got in the TV show because you were a scorpion. I had to re-audition. Oh, I didn't I know had that. to re-audition for it. And, and Larry later told me, he goes, we were probably going to give it to you anyway, but we just wanted to make sure we wanted to make sure you could act. And I'm like, oh, you son of a gun. Maybe all nervous and everything. 
but because you know in the in the series they wanted to do kind of an origin story of, of scorpion so they they made me the you know the, the guard of the castle uh, takeda so that there was a story arc around how i became scorpion which was cool so i was gonna have to say more than get over here and get down here so they wanted to make sure okay we got to make sure you can talk i'm like yeah i can talk i can do this <laughs> um but the fight scene with sub-zero was something we had talked about doing in the film but it just wasn't going to work out as 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 how they had it and, and to do it. But everybody wanted to see that because the video game, of course, that's like the main battle all the time. Yeah. Scorpion versus Sub-Zero. So the buildup to that scene, like even the buzz on the set, the crew and the rest of the cast were like, oh, my God, we can't wait. And uh, J.J. Perry, who did uh, Sub-Zero for the TV show and is now going to be like a big director. He just directed something with uh, Jamie Foxx and, and Snoop Dogg, the Night Shift thing that was on Netflix. Yeah, yeah he's doing a bunch of cool stuff. He's awesome, dude. And uh, but him and I rehearsed that thing for two weeks leading up to it. And because, again, we wanted to kind of do it justice and make it a battle. And uh, yeah, you guys it, actually, came out pretty well. You absolutely guys. You absolutely killed it. It was absolutely amazing. And let's get into another great one. Batman or Robin. Number one, this photo alone, you're Batman. That's it. To me, I'm looking <laughs> at that's Batman. That suit right there that I'm wearing. Yeah, that is actually Val Kilmer's suit from the previous Batman film. They gave oh. us that suit to rehearse in because you couldn't rehearse with the film suits. That was just for practice. But that one, when, on the inside on the chest plate, when I put it on, it yeah. said Kilmer really? in the front of it. Yeah. So it was just kind of cool to be able to, to wear that. And uh, man, what an honor and a pleasure to do that. I mean, I wish the film had done better than it did you know, theatrically, but it was just so cool to be walk around and be able to say, I'm Batman. I'm, <laughs> I'm Batman. I mean, it was like moving around. I mean, man, you had some amazing fight scenes in there. And not just that, but you're kind of like, not just a stunt guy, but like a body double. So that's a different yeah. aspect. Yeah. So doing the fight scenes, that was probably the most challenging time I ever had in a movie because the suit is skin tight and it weighs 25 pounds. Uh, and that doesn't count the cape. The cape's another 20 pounds and the cape is leather. It was full leather. Now, I don't know what they're making the new suits out of, but that suit was heavy and it was skin tight. So imagine being in a, in a wetsuit, but instead of it weighing a few ounces, it weighed 25 pounds. That's what it was like. And then they have rules because they've learned through the previous Batman films, like you're only allowed to be in the suit for a certain amount of time because the minute you put it on, you just start sweating. And, that, and so you have a, a hard rule. It's three hours and you have to come out of the suit. They have to take mm -hmm. you out. And it, it's a funny story, but it's a, lot, a little disgusting when they would take me out of the suit and it takes like 10 minutes to take it off because it's riveted onto you and things like that. They would take my boots, the bat boots and turn them upside down. And just like you're pouring water out of a pitcher, <laughs> that's how much, you know, oh, and man. then they had, they had a guy whose sole job was to hold an air conditioning unit on me. Um, and just, and wherever I was, his job was to stay there to keep you cool. So that, you know, the production did a great job because they understood, you know, what it's like to be in there. But that's one of the reasons why they gave me the other suit to practice in so that I could oh. figure out how to do these moves. Pat Johnson, the choreographer put together some really cool fight scenes and he, we wanted to be sure we could do it again, do it justice and to make sure that we could pull off the moves that we wanted to put in there. And, and I imagine had to restrict your range of motion and, and all, like throwing up a kick. It's probably just pulling you down as you the go. The kicks were the hardest part. The punch is not so bad because you can kind of fight the suit, but the kick you're fighting, you're fighting the ab of the suit. You're fighting the shoulder. You're fighting the leg. So those actually were the hardest ones to throw in there, but we still managed to throw in some spin kicks and some jump kicks and, I'll say, yeah, any fighters trying to cut weights going to a Batman suit, you'll get that. <laughs> you will lose weight quick. <laughs> you also had on this film, interesting story of, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He kind of yeah. go ahead to that. That's funny. 
Yeah, so they had me in the full the full bat suit in your eyes, you know, under or around your eyes are blacked out. So it's really just your pupils and chin. It's the only thing you can see. George Clooney and I are exact same height. And according to the director, Joel Schumacher, we have the same chin. Uh, he was very, uh, very flamboyant that way. Yeah. So our chin matched up perfectly. So we're getting ready to do this Batman versus Mr. Freeze fight scene. The, the intro of it, and Arnold wanted to do his thing. He had a stunt double, but for whatever reason, he wanted to do the opening of it. But I was already there. I think George was working on something else or a different part of the production. And so he just starts talking to me as if I'm George Clooney. Ah, and it took me a minute yeah. to realize, because I thought, wow, he's really a nice guy. He's just coming up and talking to me. He's like, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about dinner last night and all this cool stuff. And then it dawns on me, he thinks I'm George Clooney. Uh-huh. And I'm like, now I'm nervous because I'm like, I don't want to say anything. He's going to get mad. And we're having a good conversation. And finally, the director walks over and goes, Arnold, you know that's not George. And then Arnold, I, again, I can't do an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, but he's like, why do you say anything? I'm like, I was just excited to be staying here talking to you. I, I didn't want to ruin the moment. So, but he was cool about it. He started, he was just laughing. Uh, I know you're, you're like, I'm this deep into it now. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> I was pot, I was pot committed to it. So I'm like, all right. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And then going into this, I mean, you're part of, in my humble opinion, one of the first kickoffs of the actual Marvel universe, if you will. And that is the movie Blade. Blade, Uh, You have some scene. Here's a nice little shot. Just missing them right there. Doing like the fight sequence there. I I know definitely at the end there in the film. I'm not sure if you're in some other parts. Can you kind of go into your experience with Blade? Well, the cool thing about being a vampire is they can kill you multiple times. So I actually get killed three times in that film. Um, yeah, it's kind of neat. Once in the beginning, once in the middle, and then that one is at the towards the end of the film. But working on that was a great. And here's the cool thing: Wesley Snipes is a legit black belt and super talented. Um, and like 99% of all the action, he did it all himself. You know, some of the hard flying away stunts they don't let the actors do that because of the insurance. But when it came to the fight stuff, like I was excited to be able to fight him because you know you hear you hear I had never met him previously. But you hear like, oh, so-and-so is a black belt, so-and-so is a black belt. And then you watch him do a couple of moves and you're like, yeah, they got that black belt like at Kmart or Target or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. But I start, you know, I watched him do some stuff with another guy. I'm like, yeah, he's really good. And then we were doing our stuff and super talented, really, and down-to-earth, nice guy. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And I can't, going through your filmography, I can't uh, go without saying you were in the first Karate Kid movie. If everybody watches the tournament, there he That's is in right. the background. Don't blink. Don't blink. Don't blink. <laughs> So, I mean, karate upbringing, you have to be a karate kid. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got in that film because they wanted to make it look like a real karate tournament for Danielson there at the end. And they actually filmed that stuff at a real tournament. And again, that was a local oh. Southern California tour that I was on at the time. Oh. So they were filming at the movie at a real tournament to give it, you know, a good background and ambience to make it look like it was really happening. Oh, amazing. Is that where you first met Pat Johnson? Or That is where I first met, first really? met him, yep. Yeah, because yeah. he healed with Mortal Kombat as well and Batman. He's, he, man, he did everything. He did everything. And one of my favorites, that is this right here. World Martial Arts Council, clearly Red Dragon in the show. You know, How did you get involved in this project? And what was it like as far as choreographing things and putting your own kind of twist on things? So here's the cool thing. I got scouted for that TV show, WMAC Masters, at a tournament. I had won the Battle of Atlanta, which is was one of the biggest tournaments on the Pro Tour at that time. I just won the Grand Championship, uh, and I didn't know this, but in the audience were the producers and the creative directors of that TV show. Really? And they approached me, uh, Hakeem Olston and Mike Bernardo. Hakeem had won the fighting. I won forms. 
and Mike One Weapons, and they approached us afterwards and said, hey, we're thinking about putting together this TV show. Would you guys be interested? It's going to be about martial arts and about martial artists. And we were like, yeah, sure. And listen, people had said that to us at uh, different points on the pro tour, like we're going to do this, we're going to do that. So I just thought it was just another guy just going, oh, I'm going to make a movie and I want you to be in it. And I'm like, okay. Of course, we didn't hear anything. And then like three months later, my phone rings and it's like, hey, we're going to fly you down to Orlando and shoot the pilot for the TV show. You still want to be in this? I'm like, uh-huh, I sure do. <laughs> and uh, so we went down there and then we shot the pilot. And as we were shooting the pilot, they're like, so we're thinking about character names and da-da-da. And what do you think your character name should be? And I'm like, as a joke, I said, Red Dragon. <laughs> Really? And they go, oh my God, we love it. That's great. And I go, yeah, I, I thought it had a good ring to it. You know, and we have our studios, Red Dragon. So I'm like, oh my God, this can be like such great branding yeah. for our business. <laughs> like it's literally, my character name is the literally the name of our company. And so they went with it, which was great. You know, after that, then they brought Pat Johnson on again to do the choreography for that. You know, and everyone on that show, legit uh, pro competitors, superstar martial artists. I give the producers credit for that as well, for bringing in real martial artists to do a show about martial arts, which was cool. And the real cool thing about it, you, you know, you're a fan of the show is it wasn't just about the fighting, right? There was a story. There was yes. a, yes. you know, a, a code of ethics about the martial arts that they would weave into each story, which made it really cool. In tandem with that, what is that like? Because with action, there's acting, there's the narrative of the story and then the action, but there's also telling the story with the action. You guys didn't just, here's a cool move. It, it helped tell the story. Can you kind of go in the mm -hmm. aspect yeah, so, and I'm glad you caught on to that because we really wanted to do that. The fights themselves had to have an arc to them, which tied into the story. Again, I give Pat a lot of credit for that. And, the, and listen, Pat's really creative with his choreography. But the other thing he does really well is he uses the talent of the people that are hired on the show. In other words, Pat doesn't say, these are my moves that I want you to do. Pat tells us, you need to hit him a certain amount of times. He needs to hit you a certain amount of times. We need you to move from here to here put your best stuff in and show me. So we got to do, I don't want to say almost what we wanted to do, but there was really nothing that we couldn't try and show him. And then he would go, okay, this works. This doesn't, that's not going to play on camera. That won't be part of the story. Let's, and he would come in and tweak it. We'd rehearse some more, show it to him. He'd go, cool, let's shoot. It looks good. Wow. So it was really a, a co-op creative process. And that's why those fights, I mean, besides the talent, the, everyone on the show is super talented. The way he put those fights together really helped to sync it up. Man, what an amazing atmosphere to work in as well. And in closing here, you do have something coming up to be released, and that is Cop versus Killer. Wow, uh, how'd you get that? That's great. I'm all over it, baby. <laughs> You're uh, a ninja. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Officer Ortiz is who we're playing this. Is there anything you could tell us about this as it's coming up? Uh, was it a July release? It's coming up soon. I think it's coming up soon, yeah. yeah. This is a, an independent film that was done by Matt Page, who people may or may not know is actually Master Ken is his alter ego. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, so he came up with the concept for this, basically a creepy action thriller. And, you know, he sent me the script. He goes, hey, I got a part for you, and I want you to do it. And I read it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be so cool. So, and then we shot this thing on a shoestring budget in New Mexico. And we actually shot it, I don't want to say it wasn't pre-COVID. Is right at the tail end of COVID. So it's been, a, it's been a work of love for him. And I'm so excited for him that it's coming out. And it's a good star turn for him. He plays the main, the main character in it. It should be pretty good from what I've heard so far. I, haven't, I actually haven't even got a chance to see it yet. I've seen a couple clips here and there. But it looks really good, especially for the budget that they did it on. Wow. And that's the other thing. When you're making TV or film, you're in the middle of it. You don't really know if this is going to 
hit or not, right? No, that's the biggest gamble in the movie and TV business. And I, and I actually was just having this conversation with somebody because they're like, we should make a movie. And I'm like, anyone can make a movie. It just takes money, which in, in the movie world, it's kind of easy to find. And whether you get 80,000 or 800,000 or 8 million, it, making the movie isn't, that's the labor of love. The business of it is now someone's got to make you an offer for it. They've got to see value in it. It's got to come out on a platform. Like, is it going to be streaming? How are you going to get paid? How are you going to recoup that 800,000 or $8 million? Uh, is it going to go to theaters? What's a the theatrical release look like? Who's your PR agent that's going to help promote the film? Like all those, the business of movie making is the hardest part. The making of the movie, in my opinion, is easy and fun. But what happens in post-production and the editing and sound, there's so yeah. much that goes into it. And there's so many super talented people that work to put a movie like that together or any movie in general. I mean, we did it, you know, on such a small scale with Matt's thing. I mean, I can only imagine working on something like Mission Impossible or a James yeah. Bond film. The scope and the scale of what they're doing is just amazing. But that's why, you know, having a major studio behind you makes that part of it easier because it's the studio's job to promote it and advertise it and get it out. And so wow. that's... Yeah, that's kind of that's the two sides of the business. The two sides. It's amazing. I mean, there's so much into it. It's amazing that things get created and finished to a final product at all. That's yeah. <laughs> that's nuts. And my final thing here is any future goals, future things to talk about. Well, listen, we were talking about. I'm on track to get us to 25 locations. That's the goal. We've got a super supportive team here at Red Dragon, and uh, you know, all the men and women that are owners of our schools are really buying into the vision that we've got for the company. I'm doing that. I'm still out traveling the country, teaching the bully prevention seminars. My goal is to have a million kids become bullyproof and fit within the next five years. I've taught over 75,000 kids so far to go through this bully certification course. So I'm, I'm constantly out there doing that. And then I'm actually in the process. We're I'm in early talks and pretty much a done script for two other film projects that are going to be really, really cool. One of them may be a, I'm going to tease a little bit. One of them may be a, a fan type film about Scorpion's real origin. And oh, yeah, we might be doing some stuff with that. And a couple other things that we're working on. So probably this time next year, maybe you and I should talk again because I'll have something much bigger to potentially promote oh, that's uh, on a, that. So staying busy, trying to do a little bit of everything here and there. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely, when it comes out, keep an ear out and I'll send a message away and we'll try to hook up. Man, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show again. It's awesome catching up with you and I look forward to a future one. Yeah, man, thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Warrior's Edge podcast. For more great talks and interviews on all things martial arts, be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ever in our area, you're welcome to come in and train with us at our academy, Olympus Grappling Arts. Until the next one, keep listening and keep training.